Thanks to Audible for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com/fool. It's Thursday, February 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Industry Focus, Dylan Lewis. It's a crossover. It's a crossover episode. This is like Luke Cage is hanging out with Daredevil. Yeah. Except we're we're neither of those guys. No, I don't have that kind of physique, unfortunately. <laughs> We're going to dip into the earnings. This is going to have a tech thing, because if you listen to Industry Focus, then you know Dylan hosts on Fridays, the tech edition of Industry Focus. So, this is going to be a tech-heavy episode of Market Foolery. I thought we were talking Alexion Pharmaceuticals, Chris. <laughs> I know, I know. You really wanted to talk about Alexion Pharmaceuticals, but we're just going to have to put that one aside for today. Uh, let's start with, um, before we get to Cisco Systems and their earnings, let's, let's start with Verizon and Yahoo and the ongoing saga, which actually has some news to it this time, and that is that Verizon is still going to buy Yahoo, but they have extracted a lower price. And if you remember, they were going to buy Yahoo for $4.8 billion. It's now going to be, if I'm doing the math correctly, $4.55 billion. So, there's, they basically went to Yahoo and said, look, you were messing with us on the data breaches a couple of times. We're paying you less money, and the agreed-upon price is $250 million lower. You're a Verizon shareholder. How are you feeling about this? I am a Verizon shareholder, and you know that's not an insignificant amount for them to knock down on that total purchase price, right? I mean, that's five or six percent. Um, I will say, as a Verizon shareholder, I definitely have feelings about this. I've seen some reports that an agreement could come through, even though Verizon's investigation into the breaches is not complete. And it seems like execs at Verizon, from these reports, basically want to move forward despite the uncertainty around. Uh, Yahoo, basically because they want to get to work integrating what's going on with Yahoo and its AOL unit and kind of combining those and realizing some of the synergies there. As a shareholder, I feel like management's responsibility is to create value for shareholders, which they are doing in renegotiating here or, or looking to. But um, there's also a due diligence element of this. And if you're not finished with your investigation personally, maybe this is me being a little conservative. I'd like to see them run through and get all the details rather than kind of rush just to realize some of the synergies and get rolling on some of the um, search, email, messenger assets that they see that are so valuable with Yahoo. It's interesting because all of that makes total sense to me. I can also say, and I'm sure this is one of those conversations that they're that they've been having at Verizon, where there are people high up at the company who are making the exact same point you you just made like no 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 let's let's be as thorough as possible particularly since we're not talking about something minor we're not talking about oh this is a, a little accounting error that was made and now we have to go back through the books again but it really was pretty minor no this was a massive data breach and you're you're messing with people's privacy and so you you do want to be as thorough as possible i also get the urgency because when the deal first went through, I remember thinking, well, they're paying close to $5 billion. That seems a little high, but it doesn't seem outrageously high to me. And there is value there with Yahoo Sports, with Yahoo Finance, with, you know, with the AOL unit um, and sort of the, the, the ad-serving software that they have there. So, so, I get the urgency as well. I, I just know that in terms of the money, and I'm not a shareholder of either of these companies, but in terms of the money itself, to me, two hundred fifty million dollars was the bottom. In term, was the minimum 
that I would have expected the price to come down by. Right. Yeah, you could see them dinging them a lot more for this. And on my end, I kind of see two issues, right? It's like there's the liability side of things where you don't exactly know what's out there and you don't know what it might lead to. Obviously, there's going to be some litigation around it from people that are not too thrilled about how Yahoo handled this. And so there might be downsides there. And then there's just the security of the tech that you're acquiring, right? And and maybe some of the issues there and, and not having it be um, quite as Fort Knox-like as you might have thought it was. Um, so, so those are two things that I'm a little bit worried about there. Um, I'd like to see them be more conservative. Maybe that's just me, though. Let's move on to Cisco Systems. Uh, second quarter profits a little bit higher than expected. Top line revenue, though, falling for the fifth straight quarter. And this is a behemoth of a tech company. And not that you expect them to grow top line revenue ad infinitum, but I'm sorry. Once you get into year two of falling revenue, I think you can be officially concerned. Yeah, and this is a trend that we've seen playing out for a decent amount of time now. And expectations were pretty low going into this report. So guidance had called for a fairly sizable year over year revenue decline, even X some of the divestitures that the company has made. So looking at it on a kind of standard basis. And you look at the numbers. I mean, a year ago, 11.9 billion in revenue. Now they're down to 11.6 or so in revenue. Um, net income was down to 2.35 billion from 3.15 billion a year ago. So it's a 25% drop. Looking at the last couple quarters, investors have expected some growth from businesses like their collaboration, data center, and security segments. And really, those have helped boost the company in these recent quarters, despite some of the weakness in some of their core businesses. And so, if you're looking at those markets, I think there's some things to be happy about as an investor. Um, security segment continued to be a standout performer, growing revenue 14%, uh, reaching about $500 million. Collaboration, which is one of their third largest segment right now, grew revenue 4% to $1 billion. Uh, wireless rose 3% to $600 million. So, you see there is some growth happening here. The problem is, you look at how all of those stack up to Cisco's top line, it's a fraction. And the reality is, the company's switching and routing segments are really what's driving the business and creating most of the results and accounting for most of the top line. And switching revenue dropped 5% to $3.3 billion, and routing revenue tumbled 10% to $1.8 billion. So, it's going to be tough for them to overcome some of those underperforming core businesses as they make this transition to more of a software and subscription model. Um, I think it's generally a good idea, but it's something that does push revenue out into the future. And in the meantime, they're going to kind of continue to be dependent on all the revenue coming in from switching and routing, which has not been performing all that well. Well, and on the software front, I think that was a big driver of the App Dynamics acquisition that they made recently, where they shelled out $3.7 billion. And I just had to shake my head a little bit because App Dynamics was on the verge of going public, and the expectation was that when it went public, it would have a valuation, a, a market cap of around one and a half billion dollars. So I just and I I own that's shares. A, that's a hefty premium. Oh my gosh! And I, as someone who owned shares of Cisco Systems for a long time and cut cut bait a while back, but I just thought, oh yeah, that's I've seen that movie before, where Cisco goes out and they've got the cash, and I understand the justification for it. But at some point, that just becomes tiresome. Where it's just, wow, you're not just overpaying; you're really overpaying. Yeah, and you know, looking at what's going on with the core business, I don't think that the story is going to really change anytime soon. And so, what we saw last quarter, what we've seen in recent quarters, 
it's going to be more of the same, and and business results aren't really going to be all that different. So maybe they're acquiring, looking for growth, and, and they're looking to kind of stir things up that way. But if you look at what the guidance that company management offered was, revenue is expected to be down two percent to flat, depending year over year next quarter. So story is not going to change. Um, I think if investors are looking for something to be happy about, like I talked about, you have those growth segments that are doing well. Unfortunately, they're a small part of the overall revenue contribution. But they did announce they're going to increase their quarterly dividend um, 11%. And so, you know, right now we're looking at a 29 uh, cents per share new dividend um, that puts them at around a 3.4% yield based on where they're currently trading. So, a little bit of a bump there. But all in all, I think the company has a lot to address uh, with, with its core issues and integrating that new acquisition as well. I think this uh, this quarter is a nice uh, microcosm of uh, how investors should think about this stock. And it's a point that you hit that expectations were low going into this quarter, and they appeared to have beat them. If you're, if you're a shareholder or a prospective shareholder, just keep your expectations low. Just think like, oh, I'll get, I'll get a little dividend, and you know, maybe they won't set enormous piles of money on fire, just small <laughs> piles of money, and, and we'll be fine. Uh, before we get to our next story, I got to say thanks to Audible uh, for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original shows, news, comedy, and more. And Audible is great to listen to when you're driving, when you're in traffic, when you're doing stuff around the house, if you're at the gym running errands, if you're listening to this po- wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, when you're done, you can go to audible.com/fool, get yourself a free audiobook. You can get fiction, nonfiction, and for our dozens of listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Um, massive selection. If you're interested in it, Audible's got it. Just go to audible.com fool and you can check out their unmatched selection of audio content. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Uh, when I was clicking through Audible's site, I saw a lot of authors that I've had the chance to talk to, uh, Charles Duhigg, Nate Silver, um, but when it came time for me to make a selection, I, I went light. I went Harry Potter. Does, does it feel good to be able to name drop those authors? I, it's not like I'm hanging out with them. <laughs> Although in the case, I mentioned this previously. In the case of Nate Silver, he showed up here for an interview, which rarely happens. When I interview people for Motley Fool Money, it's it's almost always over over the phone. Silver happened to be here. He's like, well, I'll come to the office. He's like, okay, great. And then he showed up like 40 minutes early. So we were just like, um, okay, well, can we get you some water? Do you want to? And he, like, this was years, this was, I want to say this was 2012. So this is like pre 538. So this is like 538 when he's at the New York Times, but it was before he struck out on his own. It was before he became huge. Yeah. And so he had time. And um, I think, as happens with authors who are on book tours, he was a little tired and he's like, Actually, I'm you know I'd like to just kind of hang out, and so we we hung out and talked about baseball because he's a big baseball fan. But anyway, get a free audiobook. Go to audible.com/fool. That's audible.com/fool. Um, Snap is out with a new valuation, and this is something that you just uh, you just taped an episode of of Industry Focus on Snap, right? Yes, we pre-taped tomorrow's episode. Yesterday on Snap. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, news came out about Snap. So, some of what we talked about, I'm going to have to record a little intro that kind of goes over it. But 
it's awesome to have some more details on what is one of probably one of the most high interest tech issuances of the year. Absolutely. And we've been getting a lot of questions on Twitter in our Facebook group, uh, which anyone can join if you're on Facebook, Motley Fool Podcast, uh, and through email as well. There's a lot of interest in Snap and a lot of questions about it. So I definitely encourage people to check out tomorrow's episode of Industry Focus uh, with Dylan and Evan New. Uh, but the, the news now is this new valuation. At the, and this can change, because the roadshow is still going on, and the IPO is expected sometime in the month of March. Uh, right now, it is looking like a range of $14 to $16 a share, which would put the overall market cap of SNAP at the lower end of the 20 to $25 billion range that we've seen. On the surface, this seems like a smart move. I like. I know there are people, regardless of the company, whenever there's a prospective IPO, there are always going to be people who are quick to sort of take a company to task for lowering the range. I, I don't know. I think this is. You, I think if you're going public, you want to be smart with where you're trying to value your company right out of the gate, and you don't want to burn people. And so, on the surface, this looks like a smart move. Well, there are a couple different philosophies with going public, right? So, there's the, let's go public at a moderate valuation and give ourselves some room to pop and, and give us some upside that people will immediately be like that. You know, you and I are not able to participate in the actual first issuance of shares. Right. We're going to be buying everything secondhand. But um, there's another philosophy that, well, you're going public to raise capital, right? And so, shouldn't you raise as much capital as you can for the equity that you're giving away in your business? Um, it's it's tough because you're also having insiders basically sell out and sell to the public markets at that high valuation, and you might be sticking individual investors. Um, I will say, for the sake of their valuation and, and just where the numbers stack up, I think it's better for them to be coming in in the mid twenties or even in the lower twenties rather than that twenty five billion number we saw before. I mean, you look at the books for them. This is a company that put up four or just about four hundred million in revenue in twenty sixteen. That was up from 58 million in 2015, so so that's, that's huge growth. But you know, you look at them on a price to sales basis; they don't have earnings, so we can't do a PE. Um, Snap would be IPOing at 54 times sales based on a 22 billion dollar valuation. Is that high? <laughs> 54 times sales, not earnings. Sales. I mean, Facebook and Twitter IPO'd I think somewhere in the mid 20s on a price to sales basis. So that alone should give you a sense of how bloated this valuation looks if you're just looking at the numbers. I get that they haven't really done a lot to monetize their platform yet. They've been really, really careful about not bringing ads in. It's a fairly ad-light experience for people on Snapchat, and that's where the bulk of their money is coming from. I think 96% of money comes from advertising right now. That's not going to change. But um, they're going to have to do a lot to live up to that valuation. Are you on Snapchat? I am. I was about to ask you the same. Oh come on! No, I'm not on Snapchat. Your no. kids? Uh, yeah, yeah. One of my kids is. My oldest is. Yeah. And so, from them, do you have an understanding of how it works? I yeah, I have a basic understanding of how it works. I, I I've also asked her, um, you know, for for the purposes of research. Hey, um, what kind of advertising do you see? And she sort of looked at me like I'm crazy. Like I don't I don't see any advertising. I said, so what what if, um, all of a sudden. Ads started appearing, just for like a three-second ad, and the look on her face was like, "That would be terrible. I would hate that." And you know, I would, you know, it got me thinking that 
for anyone who's looking at Snap's business and thinking, well, gosh, here's how many people are using it, and if all they do is serve up X number of ads, then that's where the monetization comes from. And But if anyone thinks, oh, that will happen, and none of the people using it will be put off by that, they're very wrong. At least in the sample size of the you know the the one sample size, the one person sample size living in my home. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, you and maybe for listeners that aren't familiar with Snapchat itself, it's basically just a messaging app. And so you send either text or pictures to your friends. They basically evaporate after you know you consume them, or if you post it to a story, which is kind of an aggregation of stuff that you want to highlight, it disappears in 24 hours. And so they've been rolling ads into stories, between stories in your feed, and you can skip them right now. And so you can skip the ads. Yeah. And so for user experience, I bet that's going to change. That's not all that disruptive, though, right? I mean, because you can be kind of just scrolling through stuff, and then you're like, oh no, all right, and it wastes half a second of your viewing time to to go through something. There's a big difference between that and having to wait, you know, 15 seconds for an ad roll or, or five seconds even for an ad roll. Um, so I think that's a legitimate concern. One of the things that I'm really worried about with them, really as a business though, is what's going on with their users. I mean, I don't know how much you've talked about them in the past on Foolery, but not much because they're a private company. Yeah, but this is a company that has you know uh, 158 million uh, daily active users. So there's people that engage with the platform once a day. Um, the previous quarter they were at 153. So that is not astronomical growth. You know, they they talk about how. Their year-over-years uh, in terms of growth rates were you know, 48%, but sequentially 3%. And when you're working on a fairly small denominator compared to, you know, Facebook, um, that's really not all that impressive. And I wonder kind of where the tipping point is for them. So one of the reasons I think it's uh, wise to stay away from IPOs, and not everybody at the Motley Fool feels this way, but I think uh, it's fair to say that a decent number of us feel this way. That you know, just if you believe in the long-term prospects of a business, you don't need to get in on the IPO uh, because, as you said, we're not insiders. We're not, you know we're not getting the preferred shares. We're not so we're not going to get it at that fourteen to sixteen dollars because when, whenever they go public in March, I guarantee you the first chance you and I would have or anyone else would have to buy it, it's it's going to be higher. It'll probably be in the twenties or something. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think one of the reasons. Uh, I'm I'm staring clear of this thing is one the and this this is the same for any company this isn't I'm not picking on Snap here it's different being a public company than being a private company there are so many more things you have to deal with and you really do need a couple of quarters to sort of get your sea legs if it were just look at Facebook which has had such a phenomenal run the first 6 months that company was public they were they were struggling and therefore so was the stock i was about to say their best case scenario snap is they become facebook right and there are a lot of people that probably would have loved to have been you know someone that owned facebook on day 1 but i just pulled up the chart as we were having this conversation you know they ipo'd in the spring of 2012 midsummer uh, they IPO in the mid 30s, I think. Um, midsummer, they were down to the high teens. Oh yeah. And so, you know, there's going to be a ton of volatility, even if you're right and long term, it's a great business. Um, and with your thesis, whatever that might be for Snap, um, there's going to be so much volatility early on. And you look at kind of the example here, and they are, you know, Facebook is the gold standard with with these primarily online uh, platform type companies, and they were trading at half what they IPO'd at. Um, you know, just a couple months later, and so 
you might want to see them release a couple quarters of financials, see what the user growth story is, see what the monetization efforts look like, and whether they're able to get advertisers lined up, and it won't be something that's super invasive for the user experience. And you might be able to get it at a better valuation, too. The other thing is, whatever happens to Snap when they IPO, the safe bet is that this ends up being the biggest tech IPO since Alibaba in 2014. There are a lot of institutions, there are a lot of hedge fund managers who just they they want to get in on the tech IPO. They just do. And that's and as individual investors, we can't control that. We you know, there's that's a whole different game from the game that we play. So that's to me one more reason to just stay away from this IPO because it is it is going to be driven by huge institutions and hedge funds. Yeah, there's just going to be so much buzz about it. Um, there is going to be the added layer of kind of consumer demand on top of all of that institutional demand as well, right? I mean, anytime you have something that is very recognizable, super consumer facing, there's going to be just so much more media buzz about it and so much more interest, and and that's naturally probably going to inflate the stock price at least for you know the first couple months that it's trading. Couple of housekeeping notes before we wrap up. Uh, first, the market is closed on Monday because it is President's Day, so we'll be back on Tuesday. But you know that's a great chance to go to audible.com/fool, get yourself you know a free audio book, um, or just you know check out Friday's episode of Industry Focus and uh, listen to Dylan and Evan dive even deeper on Snap. Yeah, there's some intrigue in there. There's some good stuff. Absolutely. Um, if you can, leave us a review on iTunes, if you have the time and if you're so inclined. It helps other people discover the show. And I know people listen on Stitcher and Spotify and Google Play and Overcast. So, you know, if you, whatever platform you listen to, if you have the chance to leave us a nice review, we would appreciate it. And like I said, it helps other people find the show. Uh, and as I mentioned the other day, we are going back to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. March 10th through the 15th, uh, Market Foolery Live from South by Southwest for the entire week. Uh, Simon Erickson is going to be there. Dan Boyd, our man behind the glass, is going to be there. Dylan Lewis is going to be there. Heck yeah. What is one thing you're looking forward to in terms of the program? The agenda is so huge. There are so many different speakers that you can go listen to, so many breakout sessions. I don't I haven't had the chance to really get through all of it. But what's one or two things that you're looking forward to in terms of the content? Well, I think last year the headliners, the the keynotes were so relevant to the investing space. You know, um, Chris Urmson was there, the, who was then the director of Google's self-driving car project. Um, Kevin Plank was there, you know, CEO of Under Armour, and so a lot of interest on the investor side with the most covered things. I think something that I'm actually kind of excited about this year is the keynotes aren't as super relevant to our investing audience, and that kind of gives us the freedom to kind of go out and talk to folks that are there and get our hands on some really awesome consumer tech stuff. That's where I always find that a lot of the value really comes from these, because anything that you know Kevin Plank says in a keynote at South by Southwest is going to be fairly well covered by most media outlets. But where we can add a lot of value for our listeners and for folks that follow The Fool is by talking to folks and lining up interviews and getting some really great content that's exclusive to them. And so... Um, I'm hoping there, there's someone that's going to be there. It's a product engineer from Netflix. Hoping to get in touch with him nice. and, and see, um, just talk a little bit about the product side of stuff. I think people might be kind of interested in hearing about that. There's some reps from Facebook that I'm hoping to get in touch with. Um, kind of in the tech trend side of things, really interested to see what a year removed from you know our experience last year has happened in VR because there's 
huge focus on virtual reality last year. And that was definitely some of the coolest consumer tech that I was able to get my hands on. And it was a lot of fun to see how all these different uh, exhibitors down at the um, at the exhibition hall were kind of showing off the tech and how they were actually using it. And so, um, kind of getting an update on that. And I'll, you know, I'll be sure to focus some of our industry focus coverage. We'll be doing a bunch of shows uh, with me down there on the ground um, around that, just because it, it's a super relevant field. It's something that a lot of people are interested in, and uh, it'll be cool to see what the next iteration of it is. And as I mentioned the other day, we are planning a meetup event. So email us, drop us an email, marketfoolery at fool.com. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. If you live in the Austin area or you're going to be at South by Southwest, drop us a note uh, and we will uh, we'll make sure you get all the details of where we're going to be meeting up. And uh, love to see you. Thanks for being here, man. Oh, it's a pleasure. This is why you check out the Friday edition of Industry Focus so you can listen to Dylan Lewis. This is like. Um this is like getting the call to the show, you know. Like you're, you're like the, the minor league ball player playing in the was it the the tropics league or the what was the, what's the thing that Dan's going to go check out in Phoenix? Uh, D- Dan Boyd's going to be checking out a little spring training baseball when we when we head to uh, cactus, Arizona. Cactus League, the Cactus League, yeah. So this is like I'm in the I'm in the Cactus League, the the Red Sox. That's something we can agree on. The Red Sox. We can always agree on the Red Sox. Give me a call. They're like, hey. Come do market foolery. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next Tuesday. We love it when people who don't know sports make sports analogies. (laughs)